Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith, and I'm the lead pastor. We're so grateful that you guys are here, whether you're joining us in person inside, maybe you're sitting in the courtyard, or maybe you're watching at home. Uh, we're grateful to have you, and our hope and prayer is that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. One of the ways that we have to help you do that is something we've created called Front Range University. Uh, we have it starting up in a couple of weeks, and so if you're interested in growing in your faith, uh, growing in who God created you to be, how you can use that to impact the world around you, or anything like that, then I would encourage you to check it out. You can go to our website, or the information's up on the screen, um, and we have three different levels. So... Uh, no matter what your time commitment is or where you're at in life or whatever, uh, we have an opportunity for everybody to be able to grow um, in their faith and who God created them to be. So if you haven't yet, check that out and see if that might be an opportunity for you or somebody uh, in your family. And then I want to let you know on September 10th, we have our next Next Steps. Uh, next Steps is an opportunity for you to kind of come and meet uh, uh, us as pastors and hear about the vision, where we're going, how you can... Uh, live out those, those three things we say every week. Build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. This one is filling up fast. Uh, we're almost full because we've had so many new people over the last few months. Uh, so if you're new or maybe you've been coming for a couple years and you've never, uh, never gone to it, then, uh, man, we'd love to, to have you. We're going to have child care. We have food. The Broncos, uh, they'll have already lost earlier in the day. Um, I'm just preparing my heart. I'm just preparing my heart, okay? Sue me. Like, we've been good for a while. Um, and so, you know, there's no excuse of why not to come. Uh, so if you want more information, you can check out the information on the screen or scan the QR code or go to our website. Now, imagine if five words could change your life. Like, what five words, if somebody spoke five words over you, what, what five words would change everything about your life? Uh, uh, recently, our new student director, Eric, uh, he came up to me and he shared five words uh, that um, not only changed my life, but subsequently will be changing uh, his life as well. He said, I don't like Yolanda's queso. <laughs> if you've been coming to church here for a while, you know that's a big deal to me, like a big deal. But then he said something that was uh, even worse. He said, Popeye's is better than Chick-fil-A. This guy has no taste buds, no taste buds. So I turned to him. And I said, I have five words for you. I'm sorry, but you're fired. So <laughs> it's easy. What five words would change? Imagine, imagine if five words could change your life. It's actually what we're going to be talking about today. There were five words that changed an entire people um, in the trajectory of their lives. Right now we're in a series on Jonah, studying the book of and the prophet of Jonah. We have a message series that goes along with every um, uh, every series that we do, we have a message series hub where you can go there. Uh, you can scan the QR code on your worship guide. You can go to our website. And there's all kinds of resources in this message series hub so, to help you grow in your faith and learn more. All of our previous messages are on there as well. So if you, if you miss any of them from this series, I would really, really encourage you to go, to go watch them uh, or listen to them. Uh, Jonah, he is a, a prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks a word given by God to a person or a group of people. Now, there are 16 prophetic books in the Old Testament, uh, and Jonah is one of them, but he is, his book is unlike all the others. All the other prophetic books are about the words that the prophet spoke to a group of people, but Jonah is not about the words that he spoke, but about his life. But today, finally, week four, chapter three, we're finally getting to the words that Jonah spoke. Uh, so let me kind of recap it. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, which is his enemy, and tell him to, uh, 
that, to let them know, hey, your wickedness has risen to me, and if you don't turn, you will be destroyed. You would think Jonah would want to go tell his enemies that, but he doesn't. He runs 3,000 miles the opposite direction toward Tarshish. While he was on a boat, a great storm comes up. The sailors get scared. They find out that Jonah's running from God, so they throw him overboard, uh, naturally. Uh, and then this big fish comes and swallows him up. If you've ever wrestled with that part of the story, I would encourage you to go to listen uh, to last week's message uh, because we deal with that. We deal with uh, whether that was historical or not. And if you do a deep dive, it might help you um, in, in that area of the story. So he gets swallowed up while he's in the fish. He prays this profound prayer um, and kind of repents. Uh, and then God has the, the, the big fish spit him up onto shore. And that's where we pick up with the story, Jonah chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, no worries. It's going to be up on the screen. Jonah chapter 3, starting with verse 1 and 2. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Stop here for a moment because this is important. Like this part of the story, don't gloss over it. It's so important that God gives Jonah a second chance. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him a second time. Like when you're dealing with salvation, like that makes sense. Like God's going to continue to pursue you over and over and over. But when God calls you to do something and you don't do it for whatever reason, so many times people just kind of give up. Well, God's not going to give me a chance to do that again or whatever. And there's some of us here today that out of the entire message, you're going to stop right here. And this is what God has for you, that there is a second chance for you. That I don't know what God's called you to do. I don't know what obedience God's trying to get you to achieve in your life, to follow in your life, but God's going to give you a second chance. That if you're not doing it right now, then take heed. Listen. Receive his grace because he's offering you a chance again. If he offered Jonah another chance, he'll offer you and I another chance. So let's continue in the story, verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. So Jonah finally obeys this time. He goes to the city of Nineveh, and it says it's this massive city. Now, archaeologists, um, they, they've dug up Nineveh, and they said it's a complex of four-walled cities surrounding the Tigris River. So four-walled cities make up this larger city of Nineveh. Now, the walls of this city were 100 feet high, the circumference of the city was 60 miles. Okay, so imagine like Colorado Springs, and you have a wall around it of 100 feet high. There were 1,500 guard towers around this city. There were 15 massive gates. This was a huge fortified city. Imagine being Jonah, and you know that you're called there to go tell people to repent of their sins, and you walk up, and there's this massive fortif fortification like this huge wall, 100 feet high, that's four layers deep, and you're called to tell these people, these barbaric people, to repent. Look at verse 4. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Here's Jonah's five words. His five words, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, for those of you keeping score at home, I know that's eight words you got to take the original Hebrew, and the original Hebrew, it's five words. What is he saying? Turn now, or you'll be destroyed. Like, turn now, repent of your sins, or you will be destroyed. 
Not a very easy message to come bring to these people. Imagine God telling you to go to like one of the worst cities on the planet and be like, hey, go to Vegas and tell everybody turn from their sins or they're going to be destroyed. Like probably not something you and I would want to do. Look at verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion toward a turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. It was that easy. That seems crazy. And Jonah walks into this city, and all of these people hear this, these five words, basically, turn now or you'll be destroyed. And they're like, okay, we'll do it. We'll turn now. Can you imagine? Like, it sounds crazy, but that's kind of the business that God is in, that which seems crazy. Like, imagine, like, it was really that simple for Jonah. And then the whole place turned. There's a guy named Billy Graham, and most of you have probably heard of Billy Graham. Uh, he's passed away now, but he's uh, regarded as definitely the greatest evangelist in our generation, uh, probably the greatest evangelist. He probably brought more people to Christ than anybody else in the history of the world. Okay, we're talking millions of people came to faith in Billy Graham's ministry. On Billy Graham's greatest night, his most successful night, they would have 5 to 10% of the people in the crowd give their lives over to Jesus. 5 to 10% of the crowd would repent. Jonah didn't have 5 or 10%, he had 100%. Like 100% of these people gave their life over to Jesus. Not only the people, but the king. The king Adad Nareri III gave his life over to Jesus. And we see it actually later on. Uh, a few years later, Israelites facing a new enemy, and the Assyrians with this king actually come to rescue them. So something has changed them. Something has gone on where their heart is completely changed, and the entire city is now no longer about evil and violence. Imagine they're now marked by kindness. They're now marked by love. They're now marked by a worship of God. Can you imagine this? I mean, wouldn't you want to see this? Like imagine if somebody went up into Denver and said, hey, turn from your evil ways or be destroyed. And the entire city, everybody, from the least of these to the greatest of these, to those the highest level in our government and our state, they turn their life over to Christ. Wouldn't you want to see that? Like imagine if somebody went to D.C. and everybody in D.C., from the lowest to the highest, to all the way up to the present, they turned their life over to Christ. They repented of their sins. Would you like to see that? Of course we would. Like we would long to see our nation transform by the glory of God. We would long for people to, to be led by kindness and love and grace and God's truth and God's word. We would all long for that, but how does it happen? Like how do we change the world? I mean, if one man can go in and change an entire city, how can you and I change the world around us? Let me give you three ways for the world to change. Number one, you have to seek to have the heart of God. Seek to have the heart of God. Here's where I feel like Jonah failed. Jonah didn't have the heart of God. 
If he did, then when God first said, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh, he would have went straight there because he would have seen those people as human beings, as people created in the image of God. He would not have seen them as his enemy, as monsters, that the rest of the world saw them. He would have seen them like God saw them, and he would have said, man, my my heart should break for what breaks God's heart. And what breaks God's heart? The lost, the broken, the marginalized, the oppressed, people that are pushed down either by religion or by government or by individuals or whatever. God sees people, and his heart breaks for them. He longs for every person to come to faith in him. He longs for every person to turn from their sin because he knows what he offers them. He knows that he offers life and he offers freedom, that he offers peace, that he offers what you and I long to have and the world tells us we can get, but it's all counterfeit based on the world. But God can actually give us what we long for and God longs for us to be people that go spread that news to others. How does our heart break for God or what breaks God's heart? Like I, I learned this principle that my heart needs to break for the heart of God. When I was in college, I went to this ministry thing one night and they showed this video about uh, kids who were starving in other places and people who were oppressed and the marginalized and all these different people. And I'm watching this film and I found myself just weeping. I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? Like, what is mine to do? In this situation, I found myself doing this just this past Friday. I went and my wife and I went and watched The Sound of Freedom. If you haven't seen that movie, I don't promote a lot of things from up here. I would highly encourage you to go watch that movie. Do not take your kids. I would highly encourage you. It's It's about child sex trafficking and the reality of that. And I'm watching this movie and I'm I'm weeping. And it's not because I didn't know that this existed. I've known that this existed for a long time. I mean, as a church, we've supported organizations since the very beginning that fight sex trafficking. So it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm so surprised by this happening. But I'm watching in the reality of it. And now you put faces to it and names and all of them like, oh, my gosh, God, what is mine to do? God, may my heart break for what breaks yours. If you haven't prayed that prayer in a while, I would encourage you to do so. Because here's what I believe. I believe that the way our culture is designed, the way our society is designed, is that you and I are taught to care more about our politics, our values, our belief system, and less about what God actually says. Like we get so bent out of shape about our politics and who to vote for and all these other things than we do about what God's word actually says about human beings about God calling us to look at humans not as the enemy, not as people on the opposite side of the aisle or anything like that, but like they're actually people created in the image of God. And if they're created in the image of God, then when they do things that hurt themselves, when when they believe things that hurt themselves, our hearts should break, not become angry at them, but it should break like, oh man, that is heartbreaking. Because when God sees them, his heart breaks for them. Now, of course, he gets angry at the institutions and he gets angry at sin and all of that. But when he sees people, he sees his creation made in his image. And I would just encourage you, if you find yourself getting more angry at individuals or feeling justified in your anger or you're pushing them away or whatever, just pray this prayer, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Just pray that prayer. God, break my heart for what breaks yours because that's the starting point. If you and I want to see the world changed around us, 
We have to start with, God, may my heart align with your heart. May I see people the way that you see people. And then once we do that, we move on to the second thing, and that's the trust that God is moving in the lives of others. You have to trust that God is already moving, that he's already doing something in the lives of people that he's placed around you. This is so important because we have to understand that God loves people so much. He sees them way before you see them, so he's going to do everything. Y'all see that thing? (laughs) He came after me last service too. Mr. Miyagi him. Like God sees people in such a way that he's already moving in their lives. Like it's just our job to join him in what he's already doing. It's just our job to be like, okay, Lord, how are you moving in their life and what part do you want me to play? And like if we can trust that, then we can move boldly into whatever God's calling us to do. All right, let me give you an example. So for Jonah, you know, Jonah's going to the city of Nineveh. In the city of Nineveh, uh, they're Assyrians. So think like us. We're Coloradans and we're Americans. Okay, so Nineveh was their city. Uh, Assyria was their, their nation. Okay, so the Assyrians, um, they primarily worshipped, they worshipped worshipped a lot of gods, but one of the main gods that they worshipped was the Philistine god Dagon. Now Dagon is um, uh, one of the oldest gods that humans have worshipped. In fact, we can go all the way back to 3000 BC and find humans worshipping Dagon. And he was regarded by a lot of civilizations as the father of other gods. Now, he was mysterious, and they believed that he controlled the seas and the rain and and all of that. And we see Dagon um, appearing multiple times in the Old Testament. One such situation was years, hundreds of years, before Jonah comes onto the scene. You have the Philistines, and the Philistines, they capture what is called the Ark of God. The Ark of God is where the presence of God dwelled for the Israelites. So this was a big deal. Like God's presence dwelt in this thing, and the Philistines were like, if we steal that, then they don't have power anymore. And so they steal it. So this is massive, because the Israelites, well, what are we going to do? They take this ark of God, they take it to a place called Ashdod, and they put it in the temple of Dagon. So in the temple of Dagon, they have this huge statue of Dagon. Well, the next morning when they walk in, Dagon is flat on his face, almost like he's bowing to the ark of God. So the Philistines are like, mm, well, that's not good. Let's set him up. Nobody say anything. Don't, don't tell anybody. You know? Then the next day they go in, and not only is he flat on his face again, his head is cut off and his arms are gone. This is a story that would reverberate throughout centuries about Dagon. That the only God that could make Dagon bow is the God of the Israelites. So now here comes Jonah. He's an Israelite. He represents this God, that you know the Assyrians know this story. The Ninevites know this story, and here comes this guy named Jonah. And wait, how did you get here? Oh, you were on a boat, and the seas came up. You were thrown into the sea, which Dagon supposedly controls, and your God brought a fish to swallow you up and then puked you out onto dry land? Like, they're hearing their story, and there must be fear. Because you represent Jonah the God who split the sea. You represent the God who rescued you from the sea. The very thing that Dagon is supposed to control. You represent the God who made Dagon bow. It's probably why in Luke chapter 11, verse 30, Jesus says that Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites. That he was a sign. It doesn't say he performed a sign. Jesus doesn't say he performed a sign for them. It says he was the sign. 
Jonah represented something so much greater. Jonah might not know that going into it. The Ninevites sure know what's going on. God was already working on their behalf. Think back to your own salvation story. If you're a follower of Christ, even if you're not, you could think about ways in your life that God has moved on your behalf. Like all of us can think about a time in our life where you're like, okay, that might have been the hand of God. Like God might have been moving on my behalf for some reason. I think about before I accepted Christ, I was in high school, and a buddy of mine came to me, and he said, hey, Ernest, my mom's having dreams about you that you're going to be a pastor. I was like, bro, that's creepy. Like the fact that your mom's having dreams about me, like that's a little weird. Like I had no clue that like God was moving. Like for some reason on my behalf, like God was was choosing to speak to people, to speak into my life, something that I couldn't understand at the time. But looking back on now, I'm like, man, God was moving. God has placed people in your life so that you'll be a light, so that you'll be the source of good news for them, that you'll be able to bring the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. But he's not left you empty-handed. He's already preparing them. He's already moving in their hearts and in their lives. He's already doing stuff that they may not even know he's doing, that you may not be able to see, but he is moving on their behalf. And when you, your heart aligns with God's heart and you can trust that God is already moving in the lives of other people, then you can do the final thing, which is be obedient to what he asks you to do. Be obedient to what he asks you to do. We've talked a lot in this series about how Jonah, um, man, he, he rebelled a lot, right? Like he ran from God and he wasn't very obedient to uh, what God told him to do. And we could talk about that all day long, but here Jonah is obedient. And like if you look at the story, you're like, well, of course, it would have been, like if it was me, it would be, cha- it would be challenging to go to Nineveh because the Assyrians were brutal. They were known for their brutality. In fact, most scholars would say they were, up until that point, they were the most brutal nation to have ever existed on the planet. They would take their captors and they would, they would pierce them by their lips and they would drag them hundreds of miles back to their cities. They would skin people alive as a way to say, hey, don't, don't, don't rebel from us. Don't be our enemy. They would cut off their heads, heads and they would put them in a pile outside the city. So not only when you come up to Nineveh do you see these 100 feet walls, but you would look and there's piles of heads. Just as a reminder, don't turn your back on us. Don't come up against us. And so Jonah's walking into the city going, I have to tell these people that they're wicked and they better turn or they're going to be destroyed. Of course he doesn't want to do that. But as we'll find out to next week, the real reason Jonah doesn't want to do this is because he knows that God's already moving in their hearts. God's already moving in their lives, and if they'll just listen, they'll turn, and God will actually forgive them. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't want his enemies being forgiven. I'm not sure we're that far off from Jonah. I think most of us in here could think about people in our lives that you're like, uh, I'd rather not be sitting next to them in church. I'd rather them not be worshiping the same God that I'm worshiping. Like, sure, intellectually, of course, we all want people saved and all that stuff, but like, Ernest, they believe this, or they do this, or they did this. And so even though, like, God, if our hearts are aligned with him and and we believe that he's moving, it still requires a step of obedience. And obedience is hard because we want what we want. Right? Like at the end of the day, like 
You and I, we want what we want. Like Jonah didn't want to be obedient. Why? Because he didn't want his enemies turning. He didn't want his enemies worshiping the same God. He knew that God would give them grace and forgiveness. He didn't want that. He wanted them destroyed. But not only that, but it was going to cost Jonah something. It was going to cost Jonah time. I'm sure he had better things to do at this time than travel all the way to Nineveh and tell them, like, you're all wicked and you better turn. He spent his own money. I mean, we don't read in the Bible that, like, he sent out missionary support letters and raised all the money for this trip and all that. Like, he went and he spent his money. He bought his own food, his own water. He did all of these things. So it cost him something to see his enemies come to Christ. That's hard. And I think about where we are. And it's much easier for us to not sacrifice for those who are on the opposite aisle, opposite side of the aisle from us, who believe differently than us. But what do we want? Do we truly want the world to change? Do we really want to not just pray, I may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, but maybe we'd be willing to do anything it takes to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What are we willing to do? I was thinking about it earlier this week and I was like, oh man, the election's coming up in like a year. I remember, I remember what the last election did and it split people and relationships and churches and so I'm just like, God, please let our focus be on you, Lord Jesus. It's like everybody has a thought and everybody's thought is right and you know everybody's belief is the right belief and all of that and I'm like man unless it aligns with this right here we're off like however you vote whatever you believe if it's not aligned to this then we're off and that's hard because no candidate is perfect and no belief system is always perfect and all of that but You've got to align the best way you can with God's word. Like this can't just be, you know, like a roadmap to better success in life. Or it can't just be like, oh man, this is really going to help me in relationships and help me be a, a kinder person and that type of thing. No, 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 this is God's word. So it's not just a roadmap. It's not just a, a, a way to live life better. This is commands from him. And will we be obedient to those commands? No matter the cost, no matter what, because ultimately we want people to come to faith in Jesus. Like if people don't believe like me on certain things, if I ask, is that a biblical thing? And if it is, like they're on the wrong side biblically than where I'm at, then I can't expect them just to somehow come to that belief. They need to come to Jesus. So it's my job to lead them to Jesus. It's our job to lead them to Jesus. Imagine one man, one person walked into a city. And scholars say at that time, there were over 600,000 people in Nineveh. One person walks into a city and everybody, everybody turns. The Bible even says somehow the cows turn. I don't know how that happened. It seems awesome. Like I want to see that somehow. But more than that, I want to see every person turn their life over to Christ. Every person. That's the only way that our world changes. But my heart has to be aligned to God's heart. And I want to encourage you, no matter where you even stand with that, like, 
I prayed that prayer, God, may my heart break, but what breaks yours? Often. God, please, because there's areas in my heart that it does not break for what breaks God's heart. I'll pass by somebody and I'll have a judgment toward them or whatever, and I don't see them as God sees them. I see them as Ernest sees them or as the world sees them. So God, may my heart break for what breaks yours. God, may I trust you that you're moving on behalf of these people that are in my life and be praying for that. God, move on their behalf. God, show up in their life. Do whatever it takes. Help them come to Christ. I was just talking with a couple after last service. We've been praying for this couple's mom for seven years to come to faith. She ran up to me and she was like, Ernest, my mom just recently accepted Christ. My God, we were celebrating, we're cheering and all that. I said, tell me a little bit more. She, she started talking about all the hardships that her mom's been going through recently. It was those hardships like Jonah's storm that got her attention. So it's not always like God bless them and do all the great things in their life. Sometimes that turns people. Sometimes it's like, God, I don't want to pray this, but like do whatever you need to do to grab a hold of my child. Do whatever you need to do to grab a hold of my parent. Like I don't want to pray that because I don't want to see them going through pain, but God, if it'll draw them to you, do whatever. And I just got to trust these moving behind the scenes on their behalf. And if I could trust that, then May I, be, may I be obedient to whatever he calls me to do. May I step out in faith. If one man can go into a city and change the whole world and change their, their, their whole city, imagine what one church being obedient to God can do. Let's be that church. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the story of Jonah. And just, God, how every week I see my story in his Every week I see myself reflected in, in him. And God, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to run from you. I don't want to rebel. I don't want to have a hard heart toward others. So God, transform me, change me, mold me. God, I pray that you would give me a heart that breaks for what your heart breaks for. I pray that you would help me to trust that you're moving in the lives of others. Help me to believe that, hope in that, pray for that. And then, God, may I be obedient. Whether that obedience takes me across the street to meet a new neighbor or invite somebody who's totally different than me to church, to pray for somebody that has caused pain or that I'm angry at, whatever it may be, God, may I take a step of obedience today, God. And Father, this whole conversation really starts first with us knowing you. God, there's some of us in this room, if we're being honest, we'd say, man, I identify more with the Ninevites than I do with Jonah. I've just been living my own life, doing my own thing. Maybe I've been worshiping the God Dagon, but maybe you've been worshiping money or power or other relationships. You realize that those things aren't, aren't leading to the healthy relationship with God that you long for, leading you to be the person that God created you to be. And so if that's you, my encouragement to you today is and just turn your heart. It's really simple. It's acknowledging that you're a sinner. And that's confessing that sin over to God. God, here's, here's my sin, man. I, I've been doing it on my own. I'm sorry. And then receiving what Christ has done on the cross for you. Believing and receiving that Jesus loved you so much. Loved you so much that he died on the cross. He paid the price that our sin deserved. But the beauty is he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead three days later. 
So it's power over sin and over death. So if you want to have that new life, you want to be forgiven, you want to be set free from the addictions or whatever, with every head bowed and eyes closed, you want to come home today. I just want you to raise a hand so I can be praying for you. Amen. 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 Father, thank you for each one of these individuals. Thank you that you know their name, you know their story. If you're watching at home, you can just simply text the word follow to the number on the screen. I just want you to know that God sees you and he loves you. Welcome home. Father, for all of us, tell us what our next step is, God. How can we best love people? Believe that you're moving. How may our hearts break for what breaks yours, God. God, break our hearts. And then, Father, may we be obedient to whatever you call us to do. Use us, God. Transform this community and the world around us. In Jesus' name.